Greetings, family. How are you? Yeah, let's just take a moment, okay, just to kind of settle in. There's still people arriving. And as Josen said yesterday, settling in probably for me too. <laughs> just trying to settle myself down a little for this afternoon's talk. And we're almost getting everyone in, so I'm going to go ahead and begin. Okay, can everyone hear me? Thumbs up? Great. My voice tends to go down too, so I'll try to be pretty strong with my, my voice, okay? So welcome. Welcome, family. Wow, four and a half days in now, right? You're kind of on the, the crest of the, of the retreat. Uh, they call it the heart of the retreat, the sacred retreat. And this Dharma medicine has been incredible and just what I think I know I've needed, but I'm sure what you've needed too. I mean, I've been so moved by the generous offerings, the wisdom and the brilliance of our teachers. I mean, just everything from the morning Brahma Vihara um, instructions to our sitting instructions with question and answers, any visualizations and beautiful guided meditations we've had to the afternoon talks, to the brilliance of each of our teachers um, Poan and Carol, Margarita, Josen, Jonathan. I mean, I said it before and I just say it again. It's a dream team. It's really incredible team. But I think that what we've also done is set a beautiful container with you, Sangha, all of you. And wow, there's such an aliveness in your practice that it's, it's actually kind of surprising for me um, that I could feel it this way under this kind of new platform, the Zoom platform. I didn't know if it was going to work. I mean, I really didn't. I thought, how am I going to really get to know them? I hadn't done a large retreat like this on Zoom. But I've actually found a great amount of intimacy, even in the little squares that we're meeting in. So... Just deep bows to all of you. Just deep, deep, deep bows. Thank you for your presence and your practice. Hmm. But um, what I want to do right now is I want to share a poem with you. I'm going to actually and up my chair a little bit there. Um, I'm going to share a poem with you, but I'm going to actually tell you just a little story about how it came to me. So I have this very dear spiritual sister friend, and we're in a group together. And recently she forwarded a podcast to me that I thought I would be interested in listening to. It was an interview by a woman named Ruby Sales. Uh, she's a racial and a social justice leader in Atlanta, and she's the founder of an organization, nonprofit organization called the Spirit House Project. And this is an interview conducted um, with Krista Tippett on On Being. 
And so it was a really very fluid dialogue and beautiful discussion. And I later found out that some of the projects that Ruby Sales and her organization does, one of them was a report that she did in 2015 that I thought was really quite impressive. Um, she did a investigation and a documentation of the mysterious, I'll put that in quotes, mysterious deaths of over 2,000 black people in the South and presented this report, I'm not quite sure to whom, but the report was entitled Breaking the Silence Against Modern Day Lynching. But this particular podcast was called Where Does It Hurt? And when I first saw it, I knew, I knew that I had heard that before. Where does it hurt? So the story was amazing, but I was in search of what was that poem? I think I might have heard it maybe on a retreat or something like that. So by the grace of the internet, um, I was able to not even search for the name. I mean, I was able to search for the name, where does it hurt? And I was able to find it. So that was incredible for me. I'm not really a, uh, that facile with the internet, but I was able to find it. And its title is, What They Did Yesterday Afternoon. So I wanna share this poem with you. It's by War Sang, W-A-R-S-A-N, Sheer, S-H-I-R-E. They set my aunt's house on fire. I cried the way women do on TV, folding at the middle like a five pound note. I called a boy who used to love me, tried to okay my voice. I said, hello. He said, Warsong, what's wrong? What happened? I've been praying and these are what my prayers look like. Dear God, I come from two countries. One is thirsty and the other is on fire. Both need water. Later that night, I held an atlas on my lap, ran my fingers across the whole world, and whispered, where does it hurt? It answered, everywhere, everywhere. So I knew I had heard that poem somewhere and it incredibly moved me. So I wanted to pick that thread up for today's talk. But I have to confess that this Dharma talk has just been an excruciating experience for me. I have written talk after talk, but this one was, was really rather difficult on many levels and I'm not even quite sure if I have quite dissected what those are. But I'm gonna tell you a little bit about the process of getting one of these retreats going through institutions, organizations, you know, like Spirit Rock or IMS. Last year, I did the PLC retreat 2019. Um, I was on a beautiful team as well with Conda Mason and 
Lama Rod Owens, um, Don Mardicio, um, Yang O, Bruni. And right after I finished that retreat, I was asked, did I want to do the 2020 retreat? So now that's almost a year. So they, I said, you know, give me some time. So about nine months ago, they asked me what was the title and what was going to be the retreat. So I gave them a title. I worked up a description and it was cultivating the wisdom of the heart, finding freedom in love and compassion. And then here we are approaching today. But before I say that, the other thing that was really difficult to kind of navigate with this particular talk or even the retreat was that I really wanted to make this special. This is the 21st POC retreat at Spirit Rock. And I wanted to make sure that I could create a a connective, cohesive, thoughtful, and impactful talk. But from the time I thought about the the description and we kind of came together as a team and what was emerging, so the emergence was actually in me. And I realized that whatever I had planned to do, I needed to scrap because what was really happening was what was emerging for me now. So when and so then change finding the finding the poem changed everything for me so in sharing the poem what they did yesterday afternoon what struck me the most was the last three stanzas i felt like i was gravitated to those last three stanzas the ones that the prayer the atlas and then the answer And what I felt was that when I finally, when I first read it, and then I read it a couple other times, I felt like all the air in my body had been expelled. You know that feeling when you take that deep, deep breath in and then you, it all comes out. After reading that, that's what I felt like. And I kind of felt like maybe it was just relief. I found it, I read it. But then a deeper reflection I realized what the feeling really was. And the feeling was grief. So I want to take a moment and I want to read you those last three stanzas again. I've been praying, and these are what my prayers look like. Dear God, I come from two countries. One is thirsty. The other is on fire. Both need water. Later that night, I held an atlas in my lap, ran my fingers across the whole world, and whispered, where does it hurt? It answered, everywhere. Everywhere. And that poem really left me just feeling very undone. It had come on top of so many things. And this is why finally I was able to kind of connect that it wasn't 
a sense of relief, but it was actually a sense of grief that I had been feeling. First, last year, I had been asked to do a, a, a part of a core section in a program um, by One Earth Sangha about climate change. And so my session, section was about the impact of climate change on communities of culture. So little has been said about that in the global view of what climate change is doing. And I felt that it was really important to address it from um, a real systemic issue and a systemic place. So when I was thinking about this atlas, I was thinking about the world and the climate and how much we've done with Mother Earth or haven't done to her, haven't taken care of her. And so that was up for me as well. And then there were also these places of my unspoken grief. I was part of the uh, month-long retreat at Spirit Rock in March. And we had to end the retreat on March 14th because of the pandemic, because of um, COVID-19. And we had to let people go who were already set up to be there for a month. And some people had been there in February, so they, they just had to we had to let them go. And so that was an arduous task and, and we had to move rather quickly. And two days later, after that, we were placed in this shelter in place. And then the pandemic, you know, came and then there was this sense of separation from family and friends. And then added to that, and not in addition to it, but the continuous killing and murder of black and brown bodies. Now so vis visually seen through news feeds. So when I read the, when I kept thinking about the title, where does it hurt? That's what was showing up for me. That's when I was able to really kind of identify what I had been somewhat stuffing to move forward, you know, to do, be the doing and not the being, you know. We talked about that a little bit in our group today. So the question is still out there. Where does it hurt for you? And this question could go in so many directions, but the answers can go in like a million directions. So one thing I wrote when I was thinking about this is I wrote, has the thirst and fire lying within your spirit reached a point of alchemy that has joined together to search out ways to quench and douse the flames. Have the common threads that pull us closer into our sorrow been woven so tightly or can they be untied? Has dukkha, suffering, been the precursor and the theme to our story? I mean, I, I, I put that out there because it was something that was on my heart as well. And I've been exploring this through line between the indescribable grief that I was feeling. I couldn't quite put a name to it. And it's intersection piece between suffering and pain. And that kind of led me into blending that into the Buddha Dharma. Where could I find that through line? 
Mm, and I'll talk a little bit about that in a minute. Um, but I want to tell you with certainty where it hurts for me. It hurts in my heart. You know, this, this vessel we talked about, this organ that is only a fist size. It gives us life and, and resilience. And it, it hurts in my heart. It hurts in my soul, deep down in my soul. Grief. It hurts in my faith. My hope for a better day, as we used to say. My pride. It hurts in my mind. Cognitively, it hurts. It hurts in my arms, the arms that can't, in this moment, hug my grandchild. It hurts in my ability to connect with family and friends. It hurts where my ancestors lie. My father died three years ago. He died at 90. He would be 93 this year. A man who was born in 1927 has seen more in his eyes, had seen more in his eyes than any of us in this room. It hurts where my ancestors lie. It hurts to see black and brown bodies murdered, mass incarceration, injustice everywhere. Police systems that are set up to destroy and not to protect. It hurts to see unwakened people and those who just don't care about the human condition. It hurts to see children in cages. It hurts to call out those names over and over again. To be sheltered in place when many don't even have a shelter at all. It hurts to see our Mother Earth still weeping and struggling to maintain. And it hurts to know that I may not see racial and social justice in my lifetime. That's where it hurts. It hurts everywhere. That grief, that running my hand across the atlas, running my hand against the topography of my own body. Deep in my soul, that's where it hurts. It hurts everywhere. And I know I'm not the only one. Because grief and suffering are existing in our landscape today. And oftentimes it's masquerading as fear and sometimes anger and sometimes depression. It's about loss. And it's always painful and never without suffering. Josen spoke yesterday about the practice of looking, seeing intention and in impact. 
our intention is to do no harm, and yet when harm is done, the impact is so incredibly great. Whether we see our sorrow and our grief and our suffering, in whatever ways, it's still impactful on our psyche and on our minds and our hearts. Mm. Yeah. Boy, that was deep. Oof. Thank you for staying with me in that. I mean, that was just, um, I didn't know that it would show up that way for me. But um, thank you. So I went about to try to make the, again, the, the threads start to, to connect with the Buddha Dharma. So I started reading suttas and books. And I don't know if you can see, but I'll move back. I've got lots of libraries here and I have libraries here and downstairs. So I have enough books and enough internet resources that I just kept looking to see where did the Buddha talk about, or at least the, the scriptures or the suttas talk about grief? Because that's what was I was feeling, right? That's what I am feeling. And it seemed to me as though grief was kind of sandwiched and booked, bookended between pain and suffering. So then that gave me another place to begin to look. And I was looking in a book called The Wings of Awakening by Tanesaro Bhikkhu. And this is what he writes. The first noble truth is that dukkha, translated as stress and suffering, the term has a wide range of other meanings as well. Distress, dis-ease, and what is probably its most elemental meaning, pain. And then he continues to write, one of the most important insights leading up to the Buddha's awakening was his realization that the act of comprehending pain lay at the essence of the spiritual quest. And trying to comprehend pain instead of simply trying to get rid of it in line with one's habitual tendencies, one learns many valuable lessons. Well, indeed, I am learning a lot. And I could see by those lines that there is this effort that needs to, to really take place and in to investigate the origin of grief. So at least we can begin to see where it lies and can we even bear witness to it. And when we are doing this kind of investigation, we are in this very interesting place a vantage point in order to really kind of also look at our mind hearts. And we can see where the unpleasantness and pleasantness kind of kicks in, where we want to turn away and why it's difficult and hard to bear. Josen again spoke about the feeling tones of Vedana in his instructions the other day. And our natural tendency is either to cling to the things that are pleasant avoid or push away the things that are unpleasant and possibly just ignore that's what's neutral. And it's that neutral place. It's all of it, actually, the pleasant and the unpleasant. But in the neutral, we just don't pay attention 
it's so small and nuanced because it's it feels maybe that it's not there it's dull but it's worth paying attention to these feeling tones within our bodies and within our minds we often avoid the true truth of suffering blinding ourselves to its origin and the causes of suffering There's no way to get to the portal of healing and ending the pain without seeing it with wise view and understanding. And even if we can make a clear path of it. And it, it's kind of like Shantideva, who wrote a, a sage who wrote a beautiful book. He said, how do we get to the other shore? To the shore of freedom. Ease liberation and non-suffering if we don't take the effort the wise effort and wise intention to have a larger view a better understanding a deeper understanding and i believe without those steps we may be put in a position without that realization that in fact our experience may be more like samsara that endless cycle of suffering it's that almost gerbil wheel of trying to get off of suffering but we keep going on because we don't we're not willing or allowing ourselves to see the true causes of it and in sanskrit samsara has a translation of wandering and also world. So here's this wandering of the world of continuous suffering without taking a moment of pause to be able to at least see where is, what are the causes of suffering? What would create the conditions for us to actually take that pause, to take a moment to look deeper inside and identify, is it grief? What is the suffering? Where is the pain? Where does it hurt? Margarita this morning spoke about the eight worldly winds, the vicissitudes of life as it's called gain and loss, pleasure and pain, praise and blame, and fame and disrepute. And these eight worldly winds, I think that they should be ten. Of course, I'm just saying, I mean, I'm not writing, rewriting the Pali Canon, but I think there should be ten. And the other two should be grief and healing. Because each of these opposites, these worldly winds, these worldly dhammas can knock us off our perch if we're not diligent and arduent in the cultivation of equanimity. It doesn't hold us, right? We're easily swayed. The winds come up and we're taken off of our perch or our rock. Yupeka is the foundation of practice. I mean, in fact, that in the Buddhist cosmology and philosophy, equanimity is the last 
Brahma Vihara. It's the fourth Brahma Vihara. And in the um, Ten Perfections, the paramis that Josen spoke about yesterday, it's the tenth parami. And in the seven factors awakening is the seventh factor of awakening. So I've always seen it as this, the closing of the uh, parentheses. Although I also kind of feel as though it's a closing of the parentheses, but then there's a comma afterwards. It's not a period. That it allows our practice to become deeper and deeper and held in a way that allows for an unstable mind of reactivity and loss and unpleasantness to begin to build its own capacity to hold the rootedness and to be spacious and still. So I'm just kind of blending together this idea of grief and what I'm seeing and what I'm feeling in this idea of the first noble truth of suffering and the causes of suffering, the second noble truth. And what strikes me as a little tricky in Buddhism, when they speak about grief, because they also, what I have felt so often is some of the things that I mentioned where where it hurts me is due to some loss, you know, loss of connection, loss of bodies, loss of, you know, time. There's a lot of things there that I've lost. And... The Buddhist philosophy says that all things are impermanent. So if you have grief over maybe even a loved one lost, hmm, where is that feeling? It's really tricky, right? It's tricky to think about. It will be fleeting that the loss of a loved one and I'm feeling grief and it'll go away. I don't know. I haven't been able to reconcile that. I haven't been able to really kind of set in to my mind and body, if that makes even sense to me. And I know, I think, in some ways that, yeah, there is the flow of impermanence. But how does that interact with grief? And how does impermanence interact with the practice of humanity, of the loss of humanity? What is that? You know, it's, it's just a really interesting and very tricky place around. Not, It has nothing to do with attachment. But it really has to do with, you know, how our hearts and our minds are feeling towards something, not away from it. Hmm. So let me just take a breath here. Pause. As I find myself so impassioned about this that I'm kind of working in a way that I really want to be able to feel and for you to feel what I'm saying in all of its intimacy and its and its messiness too. So we can't really deny the subtle and maybe not so subtle body, mind sensations that happen around suffering and grief and pain. These two are everywhere. I mean, they show up as mental formations, physical manifestations, 
They show up in ways of the five aggregates, form, feeling, perception, fabrication, consciousness. They show up in our bodies in a way that we know that we're living in this long history of institutional and endemic suffering. It's caused us to lose faith and hope. And for so many of us, it has settled in our body as grief and trauma. And it's also ancestral. And it's intergenerational. And in some ways, it has its presence since birth. It's in our gene pool. So this grief, this suffering from systemic and institutional ways in which we have suffered. And that is passed on through generations and generations. We've seen it. It's been recorded. We've seen it from youth to young adult to adults. From ancestors on to present time. So how do we practice with grief? And especially in our awareness practices, how do we develop the tender capacity to hold grief and still stay present and open? I have a poem that really helped me kind of weave this through. It's by a, um, a senior Buddhist teacher named Larry Ward. He is the founder of the Lotus Institute in Colorado, New Mexico, actually. And it uh, really works for nonviolent and social change. He was a student of Thich Nhat Hanh and a follower of uh, Martin Luther King Jr. And here's a piece that he wrote. It doesn't have a title, but um, I picked it up off of uh, a site. And this is by Larry Ward. I have been hurt by falling dreams, tumbling down like great stones from the mountain of hope, cracking open my heart. I've had the feeling of losing everything and the sound of being ground up by the world of endurance. Tired, sad, and weary, my heart overflows with tears. I have met my own fury coursing through my veins as a silent illness because life did not go my way. I even thought the moon stole my shoes. I searched everywhere, over the green countryside, the crowded city streets, the brown deserts, the snow-capped mountains, and even the dust of stars. I found myself wrapped in clouds of doubt. In the softness of one holy night, the Dharma rain fell. The sky cleared. I looked down and discovered that my shoes had been on my feet all along. My pure heart and pure mind have not been crushed or destroyed by this world's experiences 
of disappointment, hatred, violence, and discrimination. My deepest desire at this moment is to be a poem and to live a prayer that encourages more love in this world. I just think that's so beautiful. My deepest desire at this moment is to be a poem and to live a prayer that encourages more love in this world. And so that helped me find a way through that if I stay in this place of stuffing my grief, not acknowledging it, having it be unspoken, there's no way I can let the Dharma come in and let the Dharma reign over me so that it can be part of my healing process. So I was so thankful to receive both this poem and this poem and be able to touch my heart in a different way. So the challenge I see for myself and for many is to to live inside the Dharma in this this place of suffering and, and grief and pain. Connecting, walking to the path to the other side of awakening. And it's really about unearthing our true nature. Unearthing our inherent goodness, our innate goodness. And it's so much about remembering. Remembering to remember that these qualities have always been there. And that we must look at the conditions and our own internalized conditionality that causes us to forget. I'm going to tell you a quick story in just a, it'll be pretty quick. I want to stay close to the time, but this is a story of my first POC retreat at Spirit Rock in 2000. It's been 20 years ago. And, um, it's a, it's it's funny when I think about it, but 20 years ago, um, I was invited by a dear friend, uh, Ruth King. Uh, I had just moved uh, for a little while. I had moved uh, to the Bay Area, back to the Bay Area. And she said, you know, I think you'd really love this retreat. So I got in. And at that time, these retreats were really small. I mean, there were like 25 people, right? Now, this lottery for this year was 300 people. So, boy, look at the arc of of 20 years. So, I had done a lot of practicing. I had done it, you know, I'd been practicing since the late 70s, and I'd been meditating for several years, but never in this particular tradition, in the Vipassana insight tradition. So, there I was at Spirit Rock, and I have to tell you, there's something about the smell at Spirit Rock. That, that's what hit me. That's a, a visceral memory that I always carry with me. It was kind of the smell of, of rosemary and bay and indigenous plants all together. I think the retreat might have been in September, something like that. Oh, it was just incredible. 
maybe August, September. And um, so I was one of those very first yogis at this retreat center who was really dutiful. You know, when they said walk, I walked. When they said sit, when they said be quiet, don't look at people, don't touch. I mean, it was, I was right there. I was doing everything that they told me to do. Very, very dutiful. And because we were so small, now we have this, we have our groups and we have several people. We had 11, eight or nine people in a group. Since there were only 25 yogis and participants and practitioners, every evening we met in a circle. We had council in the, in the upper hall at Spirit Rock. We sat in a circle, and so we were able to talk about what was arising for us in our practice. And every evening we used a talking stick, which actually turned out to be the microphone. But we grabbed it, and people took time to talk. And I actually waited to be the very last person on the very last evening. And I picked up the microphone and I was shaking. Because what had arose for me in seven days was the fact that I had gotten in touch with the true root and causes of my own suffering. Those places of, as Larry Rhodes Ward said, life didn't go my way. And what I was holding onto and clinging to and attaching to. And it became so clear to me. So I picked up the microphone and I started talking and I started crying. And as you could tell from the beginning of this Dharma talk, I'm a weeper. So I just started crying and talking about it. And before long, there was a bell and my time was over. But I I was still feeling that there was some more cathartic um, memories and things that needed to come out. So if you've ever been at Spirit Rock, you walk outside the hall and then you walk, you can walk just a few steps and you're in the women's bathroom. So I'm already crying. I knew they had tissues. So I walked right into the women's bathroom and I don't even remember putting shoes on. So I might not even gone to got my shoes. I just walked in. And I, if I can recall correctly, I think I just stayed in the corner and just wept. I just like cried, you know, that ugly cry, that Viola Davis kind of <laughs> snotty cry. I mean, I was just crying. And here's the beauty of our communities, this BIPOC community, this particular, these particular POC retreats. In the dominant culture retreats and the white retreats that are basically mostly white, they really want you not to touch, not to comfort, not to look at your fellow practitioners. But that's not how we roll as people, you know. And I was the fortunate, (laughs) I'd say fortunate, person to be able to receive a particular kind of, um, of love. And I was over in the corner and I was crying and crying because it was still unearthing. It was still coming out. And three women walked over to me. One was Alice Walker. One was my Dharma sister, 
Shahar Godfrey, and one was a sister, Olivia, who's now an ancestor. And all three of them held me. It was as if I was wrapped in a cocoon. It was as if I could just curl into a fetus position and be held and rocked because they recognized the sorrow that I was feeling. And I have to tell you, I don't think that this would have happened in another retreat. And that was my discovery that I could actually get in touch with the sorrow and the pain that I was actually experiencing inside my body, inside my mind, inside my heart. And I have often said this in many retreats, but that was a place and that was, that was such a pivotal time for me that I stayed and now 20 years later, I'm still in this particular tradition and on this path. But I stayed because I wasn't promised or guaranteed freedom. But what I could see is that there was a possibility of inner freedom if I actually did the work. So I just want to share that with you all. That the practice, you have to make it yours. That you can find that inner peace. You can row to the other shore. And there's no guarantee for it. But it's practice. Just like anything, it's practice. And we also need wise discernment. So we can veer away from the pattern narratives that we have created in our minds and these fixed views and perceptions. And they're locked in old unconscious belief systems. I'm not good enough. I can't do it. Whatever that might be. Or listening to the outside conditions that have come in to actually implant things that are not true for us. So changing our mental narrative allows us to create a process that possibly opens up to healing. Healing our grief, our pain, our suffering, connecting us back to the Buddha Dharma. Back to where our refuge can be. And allowing the word that seems to be the thread of this retreat, allowing us to ask with total clarity, What is our relationship to the grief and suffering? And asking maybe even the next question, where does it hurt? A quote that I found that kind of pulls in this this idea of changing narratives. Look at how the narrative keeps us from actually doing the really important work of liberation with our own experience. It's not supposed to feel good. It's supposed to be hard. It's supposed to be really uncomfortable. If it were easy and fun, everyone would be doing it. And that's from Lama Rod Owens from his new book, Love and Rage. It's not supposed to feel good. It's supposed to be hard. That's practice. 
and it's changing our narrative to make us work deeper, stronger, more fervently towards liberation. And another quote, if you don't write your own narrative, someone else will write it for us. And that's by Dr. Joy DeGruy, who wrote the book, Post-Traumatic Slave Syndrome. Let's write our own narrative. Let's rewrite it. The internal dialogue that goes on. So I guess the question here is where does it hurt? The suffering, this feeling the grief. I'm not asking or I'm not suggesting that the grief shouldn't be felt because that's real. I'm inviting us to see how we can transform the grief from living in our traumatic and exhausted bodies so that we can reach the other shore of freedom. Where does it hurt? Everywhere. And perhaps that's the truth of it all. It hurts everywhere. When we rub our fingers over the topography of our own mind and body, maybe it's hurting, hurting everywhere. I personally have allowed the Buddha Dharma to begin my healing process. I know that wisdom and truth and community are my refuge. And I can go forth in that. I can land there. I can rest there. And I can still do the work because the work is hard and it's messy and it hurts and it's painful. And it's all of that. But I really want to get real with this. These feelings that have gripped me, I want to let go. So I have um, two poems I want to end with. One is a poem, again, by Larry Ward. Um, last October, we had a gathering at Spirit Rock for Black Buddhists of African descent, and he was one of our keynote speakers or one of our speakers during um, a gathering. And he read this poem that so spoke to me, and I just want to share it with you. It's called, When I Became Currency. When I became currency, when they came for me, I tried to contain my fear and my heartbreak. My bones longed for home as I, sick in the bottom of a ship, became dark currency over the sea. I was sold and sold again, a commodity, an instrument of profit, sustained by greed, arrogance, and ignorance. Cold and beleaguered in a new land, unknown, I tried to forget such horrors. But the looks and whispers and suffering, even to this day, remind me. 
I am a class of color created by a colonial mind missing its own self-worth. But the dance of my ancestors in my bones have kept me awake and kept me alive. I live beyond such limiting constructs of mind. I am free because I am not confused. I am stardust awake. I am the earth and the sky embracing all. I ride the wind with the eagle and the hawk. I flow with the rivers into the oceans. I touch the sun and am touched by the moonlight like all beings. I stand in the house of belonging. I walk the beauty way of my ancestors. I dwell in the field of beauty within me, behind me, beauty ahead of me, beauty all around me. I am nature herself, awake, powerful, resilient, generative. I offer my love to all my ancestors and to all of yours. Like rain falling on the wise and the unwise, the troubled and the untroubled, the just and the unjust, so that the wounds of time may be healed in the eternal dance of the flows of birth and death. I am currency no more. Let's just take a moment and hear that again. Just, I am currency no more. I am stardust awake. The dance of my ancestors in my bones have kept me awake and kept me alive. That is to be celebrated. So in closing, I'm going to read one last poem to you, and then we'll just have a moment to sit and bring it all in. This poem is called Patachara's 30 Nuns. It's from a book that just recently came out called The First Free Women, Poems of the Early Buddhist Nuns by Maddie Weingast. And he took these stories of the early nuns and translated them with the help of uh, Ayananda Bodhi at the Lakabahara Monastery up in the Sierras. Hmm. Farmers take grain from the earth and branches from the trees. They crack open one with the other and take what's left to feed their families. You are like unripe grain Take time to grow. Then leave the ground behind and let your husks be stripped away. I promise, less is more. So Patachara told us, so we sat on the ground like unripe grain. 
we gave ourselves to the path and the path broke us apart. What we feared most is now seen for what it is. True peace, freedom. All that broke apart was the darkness. We had for so long been calling our whole world. So let's just take a moment. Bring ourselves into a little bit of stillness for just a few minutes. Taking in these wonderful poems and these wise, wise reflections that they've offered us. May the merit of our practice today be to the benefit of all people, all beings. May whatever grief and pain and suffering we're feeling begin to come along the path of the portal to healing. May we find peace and freedom on the other shore. May we all find ease and peace. May we stay healthy and safe. May we all be well. May we find liberation on this path. Thank you so much for your kind attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.